Our sermon today is taken from Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. But a man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property. With his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these things, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, Yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband at the, are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately, she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. Thus says the Lord. Let me pray for us before we begin our sermon today. Father, thank you for this opportunity to preach your word. Father, I pray that you would bless us today, Lord, with your presence and that you would be glorified, Lord, uh, in and through your word. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Most of us might remember that when we were kids, we used to play a game called pretend, where we pretended to be somebody that we were not in order to have fun. In fact, there are many toys today that are specifically designed to help kids to play pretend in more easy and effective ways. For example, when I was a kid, we had a variety of costumes that we would wear so that we could pretend to be our favorite superheroes like Batman, Spider-Man, and Superman. And even now, my youngest son has a toy kitchen with pots and pans where he sometimes pretends to be a cook with his very own restaurant. Uh, most girls, I think, like to play pretend to be moms with their little baby dolls by dressing up like their parents and so on. Now, don't get me wrong, when kids do this, it's actually healthy for them. In fact, it's a very normal part of their social and emotional development as children. But the problem arises, however, when as adults, we continue this kind of behavior. When we continue on pretending to be something that we're not, even when we've grown up into full-grown adulthood. Now, in one sense, all of us here today are guilty of this kind of thing, right? Because we all still pretend to be something we're not from time to time. I mean, how many times have we laughed at a joke that we really didn't think was funny, but we laughed anyway in order to be accepted by the people or group 
that we shared it, that shared it with us. And how often do we pretend to be someone else in front of other people in order to make it seem like we're cool or we have it all together as people? And how often have we raised our hands in class and asked a question in order to appear like we're more intelligent than those around us? You see, from time to time, we all do or say things to make ourselves appear to be something that we are not. And unfortunately, when we pretend like this as full-grown adults so that we deceive people by our behavior, we are all guilty of hypocrisy. And God considers that to be a sin. In fact, the word pretend itself is just a synonym for the word hypocrisy. And according to the Bible, a hypocrite is a person who conceals their true character by pretending to be religious or virtuous in front of other people. And tragically, this was the case with Ananias and Sapphira in our passage today as their story reveals to us uh, a warning against the sin of hypocrisy. Now, with that being said, I'd like to examine our text today under two headings, two headings. First, the subjects of hypocrisy in verses one and two, and then the seriousness of hypocrisy in verses three through nine. But first, the subjects of hypocrisy. Let's look at verse one. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. So here we are introduced to uh, a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira. And in order to better understand their story, I think we need to make a connection between verse one and the previous chapter that we read last week. You see, Acts chapter four, verses 36 through 37, tell us that a Christian named Barnabas sold an entire field and gave the money to the apostles so that it could be used to provide for those who were in need. So obviously, Barnabas's kind act of generosity made him very popular among the people and well-respected by Christians. And now I must say that um, I myself have had the privilege of being blessed as a Christian to meet many believers who, like Barnabas, were extremely generous. In fact, there are many of you here today at Covenant City Church who are extremely generous people, especially when it comes to things like giving your time, your wealth, and your talents for the kingdom of God without ever expecting anything in return. And believe me, this is truly a source of encouragement to your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, including your pastors as well. And some of you might even know other believers as well who are like Barnabas, are very, very generous. And so it makes sense to us then that if we think about it for a minute, that Barnabas's act of generosity must have brought him a tremendous amount of praise and adoration from other Christians who were there at that time. In other words, people responded which with much gratitude and thankfulness to Barnabas for his selfless act of giving to the church because the whole church, you see, was rejoicing over it. You see, everyone was now talking about Barnabas and applauding his act of unselfishness. 
And so we're not surprised then that Ananias, desiring that same kind of respect and admiration that Barnabas received, deceived, or, or decided, I'm sorry, to deceive the apostles along with his wife. He decided to do the exact same thing that Barnabas did. And see, tragically, verse, verse 2 tells us that Ananias, with his wife's knowledge, kept back part of the money for himself and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, it's important that we understand that Ananias and Sapphira's sin was not in the fact that they kept back part of the money for themselves. You see, their sin was not that they had sold their property and only gave a part of it to the church. No, their sin was that they both conspired together to deceive the apostles and the church into thinking that they were giving the entire amount when in fact they had not. And why, why did they do this? Uh, I think John Piper has a good handle on this. There he says, they wanted to look more generous than they really were. They wanted external religious approval. They not only love money, but they love the praise of men. You see, their problem was that they wanted everyone around them to believe that they had a higher level of spiritual devotion and commitment to Christ than they actually had. Now, before we utterly condemn them as terrible people, I think it's important that we begin to look into our very own hearts as Christians, because I think all of us have probably been guilty at some point of trying to impress other people, of trying to impress other people with our high level of spirituality as Christians, right? With our high level of devotions to Christ. I mean, how many of us have ever tried to impress people with our, with our vast knowledge of Reformed theology, with things like the doctrine of election and predestination and all the other doctrines of grace? Or how many of us have tried to impress people with our daily Bible reading schedule or our vast reading and understanding of the Bible? You know, there's a funny story of a, of a pastor who was preaching on the importance of daily Bible reading to his congregation. Well, shortly after that, he and his wife were invited to dinner by a family in their congregation. And after they arrived, however, his wife saw a note on the kitchen calendar that read, the pastor and his wife are coming over for dinner. Don't forget to dust off all the Bibles. <laughs> you see, to a certain extent, I think all of us are guilty of the sin of hypocrisy from time to time. And this is why Jesus warned us as Christians to beware of practicing our righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. You see, instead, he told us that when we give to those in need, not to let our left hand know what our right hand is doing so that when we give in secret, we will be rewarded openly by our heavenly father who sees everything we do for his kingdom. And so the sin of Ananias and Sapphira was that they were hypocrites who wanted everyone around them to believe that they were something that they were not. And so they lied by pretending to surrender everything they possessed for the cause of Christ, when in reality, they had not. But notice something very interesting today at the beginning of verse 3. 
See, there Peter says that Satan filled the heart of Ananias. You see, what this is telling us is that the actions of Ananias uh, were motivated by a completely different spirit than the action of Barnabas, the generous giver. You see, ironically, Barnabas was led by the Holy Spirit to give generously to the church, and he unintentionally received the praise of men and was commended also by God. While on the other hand, Ananias, being led by a unholy spirit, gave to the church intentionally in order to receive the praises of men and ended up being actually condemned by God. You see the irony in that. You see, the problem with Ananias was that he loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. And so he willingly allowed himself to be used by Satan to oppose the work that God himself was doing in his church. And remember that the uh, name Satan literally means adversary. And so his sole purpose on earth is to oppose God and God's people. And I think this teaches us a very important lesson as believers, that wherever God is at work, Satan himself will be active as well to oppose that work and to contradict that work whenever he is able. I mean, we've, we've already seen in the book of Acts how earlier the apostles themselves were thrown in prison and persecuted by the religious authorities. And yet the church itself continued to grow and thrive under these circumstances. Well, since his attack on the church from the outside was unsuccessful and ineffective, Satan now tried to attack the church from the inside by working through the jealousy and hypocrisy of Ananias and Sapphira. Commenting on Acts, Warren Worsby says this, if Satan cannot defeat the church by acts from the outside, he will definitely get in on the inside and go to work. And I think that's exactly what he did in the church of Jerusalem. And for those of us at Covenant City Church today, um, I think this means that the more we engage in doing ministry in God's church, the more we buckle down in our efforts to plant churches here in Indonesia in order to further the kingdom of God in the world, the more we can expect there to be an overwhelming opposition to this work from the forces of evil. So don't be surprised when you encounter trials and difficulties in your ministry, in your church planting, because Satan is always at work powerfully to contradict and to distort the kingdom of God. He will always oppose that work. And as we, we see in the case with Ananias and Sapphira, this opposition might come to us, it might even come to us from inside the church, right? From those who profess to be Christians, but are actually, the Bible tells us, subjects of hypocrisy. And that brings us to our second point, which is the seriousness of hypocrisy, the seriousness of hypocrisy. So in verses three and four, Peter confronts Ananias with his crime saying to him, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? And then at the end of verse four, he tells Ananias that you have not lied to man, but to God. Now that's 
very interesting here because Peter lied to Ananias. And yet Peter is saying that Ananias himself lied directly to God. Now, here's where we get, I think, to the heart of the matter. You see, the real crime in this passage was not that Ananias and his wife kept back part of the money, right? But their crime was that they had lied to God. John Stott says, Ananias and Sapphira were not so much misers as they were thieves. They wanted the credit and prestige for sacrificial generosity without the inconvenience of it. So, in order to gain a reputation to which they had no right, they told a brazen lie. Their motive in giving was not to relieve the poor, but to fatten their own egos, end quote. And notice in these verses that the Holy Spirit and God are used interchangeably by Peter. So that in lying to the Holy Spirit, Ananias was also lying to God. You see, this passage for us today is a veiled reference to the deity of the Holy Spirit because he alone with the Father and the Son are almighty God. And the verb to lie in the passage in the Greek today is the word pseudomia. And that word uh, is where we get our English term pseudonym. Pseudonym has a reference to a person concealing his or her true identity by presenting a false image of themselves to others. So literally, it's as if Peter was saying to Ananias and Sapphira that by pretending to be empowered with the Holy Spirit, uh, uh, they gave money to the church. They both were knowingly concealing their true motives, which was a direct offense to the Holy Spirit. In other words, they were making a false presentation of the work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of God's people. The Holy Spirit converts our hearts and helps us to give from hearts out of love. And they made a false uh, picture or presentation of that work of the Spirit. And what made their sin even worse was the fact that in the early church, the Holy Spirit was uniquely present through the preaching and teaching of the apostles, as well as in the ordinary uh, or the extraordinary growth of the church including all the miracles that were done by the apostles as well. And you might remember that God doesn't take sins against the Holy Spirit very lightly. Uh, Jesus himself took serious offense with those who claimed that his miracles were not done by the power of the Spirit, but instead were done by Satan. In fact, Jesus even accused those Jews who made those remarks of having sinned against the Holy Spirit and were therefore in danger of not having their sins forgiven in this life, nor in eternity. And so we can see that sinning directly against the Holy Spirit is a very serious offense to God. He takes that very, very seriously. And so notice in verse eight and nine, how Peter then responds to Sapphira. He says to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you both have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Now, first and foremost, I'm going to say by asking Sapphira to confirm the price of her husband's land, Peter was graciously giving her a direct opportunity, you see, to be honest with him. But instead, 
Sapphira continued on to lie in order to keep up this false appearance of godliness. So in one sense, her response is even more disappointing than that of her husband's because she was given by Peter a second chance to repent of her sin and to be truthful. And this shows us that she was not, not even close to repenting or being sorry for her sin because her conscience was so very hardened that she continued on to lie and to test the spirit. Now, the word test here with reference to Sapphira is not a nice phrase. In fact, in the Greek, it's the same word as used um, to refer to the devil who tested Jesus in the wilderness. And it's also used in Exodus chapter 17, where the people quarreled with Moses in the wilderness and put God to the test by accusing him of leading them to a place where they would ultimately starve and die. And that's why in Deuteronomy chapter 6, God specifically commanded the Israelites after that not to test him, not to put him to the test. And so what this is telling us is that as Christians, we put God to the test when we doubt his provisions for us, when we don't believe that God will take care of us in difficult times, when we are not trusting God to provide for us as his people. And so when life gets hard, we then act independently of God and we seek to provide things for ourselves as opposed to turning to him in faith. And this is exactly what happened in the case of Ananias and Sapphira. You see, when they saw that all the people were selling their possessions and giving everything to the poor, they probably said to themselves, wait a minute, if we sell everything we have, we're not going to have anything to fall back on in the future. And then what are we going to do? Who's going to provide for us? You see, since they were not trusting in God, they continued to plan for future for themselves. And so they kept some of the money uh, from the sale of their property. And this gave them, as Christians, I think, a false sense of security for their future. And again, if they were honest about the amount of money that they received, that they gave to the church, it wouldn't have been a problem for them because Peter had already told them, while the property remained, it was yours and you could have sold it for whatever you wished. But the fact that they went through all of this trouble to deceive the apostles and to secretly withhold money for themselves was more evidence that they did not trust God to provide for them in the future. And so tragically, they lied and ended up testing the spirit. Now, I think we need to be very careful here because I think it's easy for us to condemn the actions of Ananias and Sapphira and then to overlook our very own shortcomings as believers. You see, it's easy for us to say what a terrible thing it was for Ananias and Sapphira to test the spirit of God. But if we're honest with ourselves, don't we all have errors in our lives as Christians where we test God all the time by failing to trust in him? Aren't there times in our lives where instead of trusting God, we actually seek to provide for ourselves? And how many times have we tested God by repeating the same sins over and over and over again, even though as Christians, we all knew that it was wrong? You see, when we're tempted to sin, to sin instead of turning to God in obedience, we often fall back into the same patterns of living 
to serving the very same idols that we once served before we were saved and redeemed by God. And why do we do this, brothers and sisters? Why do we do this as Christians? Well, like Ananias and Sapphira, our idols give us a false sense of security by allowing us to maintain a certain sense of control over our own lives because we're not really trusting in God to provide for us or in the present or in the future. So you see, when you think about it, we're a lot more alike Ananias and Sapphira than I think we really care to admit. And if God were not so merciful to us as believers, he could have destroyed us long ago if he wanted. Because in one sense, all of us are hypocrites. All of us struggle with the fact that our flesh wants to present an image to those around us while hiding in the darkness that lies deep within our very own hearts as believers. You know, commenting on the sin of hypocrisy, Mark Twain once stated that we're all like the moon. We all have a dark side that we don't want anyone else to see. Now, I'd like to conclude our sermon today with some lessons on the sin of hypocrisy, I think, that we can learn from the lives of Ananias and Sapphira. And the first lesson is that hypocrisy desires the praise of man as opposed to the praise of God. Hypocrisy desires the praise of man as opposed to the praise of God. You see, Ananias and Sapphira was completely focused on what other people thought about them, about making themselves look good in front of the apostles and the rest of the people in the church. They wanted the same praise and adoration that Barnabas received for selling his property so that people would think highly of them as well. Unfortunately, however, they never stopped to consider what God himself actually thought about them. And that, you see, brothers and sisters, was far more important. So to avoid hypocrisy, we must devote ourselves to pleasing God rather than man. But secondly, obedience with the most motive of personal glory is actually disobedience. So the second lesson we learned that obedience with the motive of personal glory is actually disobedience. You see, Ananias and Sapphira just assumed that they were doing a great thing, right, by selling their property and giving the proceeds to the needy. Because their giving, you see, in their minds, met the outward requirements of God's law. But, you see, what they failed to realize that even though their giving may have met the outward requirements of God's law, in reality, it failed to meet the inward requirements of obedience. And that is to give sincerely from the heart. Why? Because their motive in giving was very selfish. And so God himself condemned their gift because their gift or their motive in giving was their own personal glory. And so obedience with a motive to personal glory is actually disobedience. But the third lesson I think that we can learn from the story of Ananias and Sapphira today is that the command to submit in marriage does not mean that women must follow their husbands into sin. The command to submit in marriage in the Bible does not mean that a woman must follow her husband into sin. Now, I'm not sure if 
Ananias himself suggested this plan in order to deceive the apostles or not. I'm not sure if he came up with it individually or, or uh, uh, distinctly from his wife, Sapphira. But since he was the head of his household, he certainly played a very important role in the deception. And God held him directly responsible. But as his wife, Sapphira was under no obligation to submit to her husband when his actions were contrary to God's word. And so as Christians, we are all obligated to obey God rather than man, even in the institution of marriage. The final lesson I think that we can learn is that hypocrisy focuses on the group dynamics as opposed to a personal relationship with God. That is, hypocrisy focuses on the group dynamics as opposed to a personal relationship with God. What do I mean by that? You know, it was probably a very exciting thing uh, to be a part of the church in Jerusalem in the time of Acts, where you saw thousands, literally thousands of people coming to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, right? Thousands of people being converted through the preaching of the apostles, as well as being able to witness personally some of the extraordinary miracles that were performed by the hands of the apostles. And so it was easy for a person to then jump on the bandwagon and get caught up in the group dynamic of what everybody else was doing, of being part of this big and thriving ministry that was taking place at that time. And even though it's all good to want to be a part of the group, uh, for a person to do so, to want to be a part of that group without having a personal relationship with the God who that group itself worships is very tragic and absolute folly indeed. And that's exactly what happened in our passage today with Ananias and Sapphira. They got caught up in the group dynamics and they did not have a personal relationship with the God that that group worshiped. They were far too happy with the image of spirituality without the reality of spiritual life. You see, one of the ways as believers that we can avoid hypocrisy is by making sure that we are walking with God daily, brothers and sisters, every day. And that's why when we struggle with sin through the power of the Holy Spirit in our hearts, by confessing our sins to Jesus, when we fall short, we can be assured that we are continuing the spiritual battle that is necessary to continue on faithfully serving God. I want to ask you this question, brothers and sisters, today. Have you embraced the Lord Jesus Christ by faith? Have you come to him and embraced the gospel message and accepted him as both your Lord and Savior? I really hope you have. You see, the maker and heaven and earth of heaven and earth is calling you today and inviting you to quit pretending, to come out of hiding, and to be a real enough person to come to him and confess your sins that you might find the forgiveness, that he might deliver you from the danger of the sin of hypocrisy. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this lesson, Lord, and message from the lives of Ananias and Sapphira. Father, in one sense, all of us are hypocrites. So we pray, Lord, that you would forgive us, Lord, that you would empower us by your spirit, Lord, 
to be real and honest with ourselves, Lord, about our sins, to confess our sins to you daily and to continue on in the struggle, the spiritual struggle, Lord, the battle of the flesh and spirit that we all are engaged in. And may we come to Christ, Lord, when we fall short and ask him to forgive us that we may get back up again and continue on serving you. Thank you so much, Lord, for giving us Jesus. And we ask these things in his name. Amen.